right? There's a consumerism piece to hospitals. It's a business. Shut them down. If they're going to create trauma and coercion and they're going to be slicing and dicing women mm-hmm. over what's logistic, like that's not even evidence-based or reasons, like nobody should have a cesarean rate that high, right? You know, like that doesn't even make sense. Yes, cesarean births are there for when we need them. Yeah. Even like the Surgeon General and all of like birth advocacy, ACOG, nobody should be over 23%. But I would tell you in all of our area, most of the hospitals are over that. Wow, it's, really? You know, it's abuse. I, yeah. I don't like to use that word unless it really fits and it really fits. You're listening to the Raising Wildflowers podcast, helping create sacred space within motherhood. I'm Lori. And I'm Ashley. And we're sisters raising wildflowers. So relax and join in as we weave from the shadows to a radiance of collective conversations that might resonate with you in this wild motherhood journey. (laughs) Hey, Mama. Thanks for joining us. Our guest's name today is Brooke. She is a doula and a self-proclaimed birth advocate. I'd most consider her a bit of a whistleblower because this interview for me was incredibly eye-opening for sure. And if you caught the beginning clip, it's possible that you may have found it triggering, especially if you had a C-section. I'm saying this because my birth experience for my first was very traumatic and it was full of complications. And we've covered that before on um, the episode Mantras of Strength. So you can give it a listen to if you miss it and you are interested. But being a high-risk pregnancy, I was told that cesarean would only further complicate my birth. So when the doctors told me later that they were going to do a C-section, I was freaking out, but ultimately knew I needed to just surrender into faith and what was going to be unfolding. That brings me to what I want to share with you about this counter idea of putting your faith in the power that be. In the moment when you have no other options or access to options, because I do believe that that plays a big part on why my son just turned 21, 21, happy and healthy. Although I do wish that Brooke were my doula and available back to me then to help me understand and kick some ass on my behalf. But I want you to consider that if you are triggered like I was to take a minute and find what it is within ourselves that needs to be healed by the words that trigger us. If you're a fan of advocacy, I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode. So kick back and enjoy. But first, real quick, before diving into the episode, if you've been struggling with the madness of mom life and want help releasing inner anger, strengthening relationships, improving concentration, reducing anxiety, easing menstrual cramps, and much more, we'd love to send you a free Mama Wusa Chaos Break mini bundle. With a beautiful handmade healing crystal tea strainer, our custom blend sample size of Mama Wusa herbal tea, you'll also get instant access to our Chaos Break meditation with a special step-by-step checklist guiding you from that moment you're feeling out of control to a state of calm and ready for action. Just cover shipping and handling and tell us where to send it. Either copy the link in the description and paste it in the search or visit mamawusa.com. That's M-A-M-A-W-O-O-S-A-H.com. Fill out the form, follow the steps, and grab yours while it's still available. Now back to the show because the wild mama in me honors the wild mama in you. 
All right, Brooke, well, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. We're so excited to have you and and share your wisdom today. Um, Lori and I would love to get started with our, our question, how do you create sacred space in motherhood? Oh, I love this one. I went back and listened, and they're all so great, all the wisdoms that have been collected already. And I kind of went outside the box when I answered this one. Even up until this morning, I changed my mind. <laughs> it was like, oh, there's so many, but I don't want to overwhelm anybody. So one that really keeps coming back to me, and it was a mantra that was shared with me as a new mom, and I was frazzled and was responding really in a stressful manner to having you know new demands in motherhood and so much to learn, I felt like, and not wanting to repeat, you know, cycles and habits of the past. Mm -hmm. And a response that I felt like kept coming to me was like, hurry, 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 respond, respond, respond. And it was all from like adrenaline and worry instead of intuition (laughs) and peace and calm. And a really wonderful mentor and Waldorf teacher that has been a huge part of our lives, said to me, say this to yourself. And this mantra is like one to always remember. And it's so simple. It was, this is not an emergency. Mm -hmm. Tell your body that. Mm -hmm. And so in times where I feel myself just like getting to a point where I'm like, okay, quick, 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 quiet, quiet, quiet. I just say, nope, this is not an emergency. And just one simple mantra that can change the way your body responds to the situation. And then, you know, why is this so sacred? It changes the way you're feeling in the moment. It changes the way we respond to our children and then how we show up for our kids. Like it's an internal stress and response. It has not anything to do with our babies. You know, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing and we're responding from something else, right? And they just don't always match. And I felt like, oh my gosh, yes, I don't want this to be my response. And not just with my children, but in just times where I feel so up and stressed and pulled in all sorts of directions as your children get older and they're not babies anymore. It's, you can fit it anywhere. And it's been such, and, and, you know, we'll talk about this today, but in my work, When I see new parents and when I say, you're going to respond internally to a baby's cry, pause for a minute. Mm. Just say, this is not an emergency. And the way you show up for your babies in breastfeeding, in diaper changes, in, in moments of complete chaos, when they're in this fury of emotions and you just say, this is not an emergency. They're just telling me they need something. That's not how we always respond, right? Yeah. My favorite. Yeah. That's amazing. I literally get chills from it too because how, like you said, it is, it's sacred. That sacred pause, it gives you a moment to collect and to like address yourself internally first before you respond. Whereas in an adrenaline type of action, I don't think you're thinking of your, of your reaction, you know? So that is, I mean, that's like the golden ticket. <laughs> and it's not, I, you know, I find too, like, that's 
it's so instinctual. It comes from a place of survival. Like mm-hmm. we talked about this in, I don't know, gosh, in, in school and in parenthood groups or whatever it had been, but why do we respond that way? That was always something I wanted to discover. Well, if you think about it, we've evolved as humans to some extent, but our nervous system hasn't. We are wired to ward off predators. Mm-hmm. We're mammals. You know, we, we are no different than what deer and other animals in our backyards do when they, when their babies are being loud, what are they afraid of? They're afraid of a predator to come scoop them up, right? So we shush them or whatever deer and possums do. I don't know. They're certainly (laughs) right, but it's the same. We're all wired the same and, but, and, but we live in walls now where we don't have to worry about our babies and us living out amongst nature. I wish we still did, but you know, <laughs> but um, that part of our nervous system is still the same. Yeah. No, that's not. So, true. so we have to train our bodies into this new environment and like with less danger to stop responding so loudly and quickly. So it really is a mindful effort of just teaching our bodies to be still and take that pause. Yeah. And especially yeah. Think for new mothers too, like that adjustment period of like, you know, that ba- the baby crying and it, and it makes you, I mean, it floods you with that emotion of like, oh, I have to fix um, this. I have to figure out what's wrong. I have to like make the baby stop crying, but okay. What if we did pause there for a second? You started to listen to the cry. You started to get, you know, that's how you start to learn, you know, what it is your baby needs and what you need. And right. Oh, I love that. That Yeah. yeah. I still love it. I still use it. My, my babies are babies. They're six and eight, but you know, yeah. <laughs> babies. <laughs> my babies. I love it just for like daily life, you know, just not even for children because mine are 14 and almost 21. Oh, but, <laughs> oh, baby. but yeah, yes, they're always going to be my babies, but I feel like you know, just even like just silly stuff, you know, that you're just like, oh my gosh, and it's not an emergency. It's really not. I love that. Thank you for that, Brooke. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So let's go down your journey a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. So your babies are eight and six. And for those of you that are listening with us today, Brooke is an amazing doula in the Percocet area, right? Percocet, you said? Yep. Um, So if you can just kind of guide us have you always been interested, I guess, first of all, in the birth world or did your own motherhood experience like mm-hmm. you? I feel like that's what I find a lot in a lot of other birth uh, workers that their experiences typically end up leading them into this, this form of work. So I'd love to hear your, just your journey with motherhood and with what you're doing now today. Yeah, no, I'm happy to share. Um, I'm grateful to be here and hopefully share some nuggets of wisdom. And, you know, I think by the end of today, what I would want people to know is, yeah, birth belongs to you and your body and your baby and you dictate, you are totally in charge. So we'll get there. I love that. I like to say (laughs) up front, like (laughs) there's a lot of advocacy in this body. (laughs) (laughs) As there should be, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do what you do for a reason. And sometimes it comes out on a keyboard and I'm like, no, no, no. Anyway, so we'll get there. Um, 
<laughs> so yeah, my journey, wild, right? Ah, uh, gosh, there's so many chapters, but I'll keep it to a, a very short book. I never wanted to be a mom. You know, I, gosh, I look back on my younger years and it just felt too big. I think that's the best image I get is there's this like really big thing and I can't even fit it in. Like, I don't even know. I thought I would always be like super career oriented and it does still feel that way in my bones. Like somebody who can take on an abnormal amount of work and still function. And I have like a really weird endurance level. (laughs) I don't, and it's, I've embraced it. You know, some people, you know, maybe a little level of ADD, but I really embraced a lot of that and it's worked in this work. So yeah. So parenthood seemed like this task of, of like really just this monumental thing. And, and it grew on me, you know, I really had some great friends who had babies and, and loved their parenting style. And my mom was really a wonderful influence too, but she was young, you know? So it was hard to look at her as like, Oh, I'm going to do what she did. She was in her teens when she had me and my oh. sister. And I was like, not even done with my party days. You know, I was like, I can't be responsible then. <laughs> I was like, I do. Um, <laughs> I can't adult. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I was really taking my time. And then I met my husband and it felt so different. So that's kind of the end of that chapter. So, but I found when I envisioned childbirth before I was even pregnant, I had like this strange sense of, I want to birth in water. Like even before I knew water birth was this thing. And so when I did get pregnant, which was not super easy, I knew still in my heart and soul, I really want to birth in water. So it led me down only one path in Pennsylvania was with a midwife um, in a home birth setting, but that really wasn't in the cards for us then. Mm-hmm. It was my first baby. I wasn't feeling it then. Um, I didn't know anybody at that point who had had a home birth. So there was a birth center in Huntington Valley and I met my midwife, Barbara, and she was like the only option. So there wasn't like this huge menu of offerings that were even fitting for me. So there was a part of me that was a little naive and I didn't learn a whole lot then because like I had one choice that I, that fit everything I wanted, but I knew I didn't want an epidural. I knew drugs weren't even a thing in my mind. It was like all natural as straightforward as I could. And so that was my birth experiences. I, I ended up with a really rare pregnancy disease called intrahepatic coleostasis of pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And I had it twice. It's like super rare. And of course I get it. It's like the birth worker curse. Like we get like all the strangest things. What is that, Brooke? What is that? So it's a liver disease. Um, okay. You know, there's still so many unknowns as to why people get it, but I've had PCOS my whole adult life. I, my gallbladder was taken out at a young age. Like I've just had some commonalities with other folks who I've met in a larger, there's a group called ICP Cares and they are wonderful and so resourceful, a nonprofit. 
but yeah, like there are some forums where people chatted and we just found like some common denominators. And anyway, so yeah, it surfaces is like really itchy skin and pregnancy and hands and your feet. And I had started prenatal yoga and I was like, oh man, athlete's foot and pregnancy, come on. I can't reach my feet anymore. Oh my God. <laughs> That's not what it was. It was, um, I'm you know, looked up some symptoms and my midwife who was so wonderful, listened to my call and she's like, go get some blood work done. And it takes a little while, but anyway, I ended up having it at like 28 weeks with my first and then not until like 36 weeks with my second. And can this only happen in pregnancy then? Is that something that just happens in pregnancy? This certain coleostasis is another disease in general. If, if I remember correctly, that can happen like similarly outside of pregnancy. Yeah. So yeah, this is what I had was strictly pregnancy. It resolves as soon as your baby comes out, but it's a risk to your baby. So that was complicated. So anyway, the midwife, the midwife that I worked with was so great. Um, She had hospital privileges so I could see MFM, maternal fetal medicine. And they were like, yeah, we really think you should transfer to the hospital for this birth you are high risk for like bleeding disorder and stuff like that. So I ended up birthing in a hospital, which was not what I wanted. And I didn't get to birth in water, but then I got to do it with my second and kind of how I got here, you know, just so it's, this is all starting to blend together. We did hire a doula for both of our babies. And I, so I was a hypnobirther. I, I, we took hypnobirthing as our childbirth education course, and I really loved practice. And I studied, you know, every night I did my work, and it was really lovely. And so I wanted just a doula to be there because I didn't want just my mom and my sister, right? Like I wanted somebody emotionally separate from me who would be like, put your big girl panties on and let's do this work. Like give it to me straight. If I start to like wimp out here. Right. Cause yeah. that's what I didn't want. And I wanted somebody to hold me responsible. <laughs> and then like, this is the bigger portion of why I hired a doula and why I tell people like, really think about this part of it. If you, even if you feel so confident and comfortable going into your birth space and everybody that you've chosen to be on your birth team and the birth location is so in support of whatever your birth wishes are and they're flexible and respect autonomy. Your partner's never done this. Most of us. So you're asking them to show up for you hundred percent and support. What? What <laughs> type of request is that? You're asking a lot. Yeah. And so <laughs> I thought, okay, he's never done this. He's gone to class with me, but it's, there's such a level of unknown for, for both of us. So then you're going to stick us in the room and figure, no, no way. So honestly, 75% of why I hired a doula was because I wanted someone to be like, here, go put this washcloth on her neck and help her cool down. Okay. And, and she asked me, she's like, do you want to hear my voice or do you prefer your husband's? And I was like, Ooh, I, I'm, yeah, I think I want to hear my husband's voice, like in my face, Aww. breathing on me because you know, that's normal at times yeah. we got here. Right. Um, <laughs> but, um, what a profound question though. Yeah. It yeah. Really stuck with me, you know, nine years later. And, and so it was, I, you know, we go into so deep inside our bodies and we have our babies. If you can, if you're in a space that 
allows that, it's such a profound part of childbirth. You really have no idea of how big the space is around you or how, what's happening. You have, you have no, it's, you're so safe, right? You're safe enough to go inside your body and stay with your baby. And I was that with my husband um, and the doula really talked him through what to do to give me support. So, I mean, what an amazing experience, especially with my second birth. I was in the water and with my midwife and my doula and my husband and in the birth center, there was like a living room right outside of my door and my immediate family, you know, my mom, my dad, my sister um, were right outside the door and they could hear all my hard work. (laughs) And yeah, and they could just come in as soon as I was ready and welcome this sweet little baby. Oh, us. And yeah, so having a doula was, oh my gosh, amazing, amazing. Yeah, that's, that's such a beautiful thing, Brooke. I love all of that. Like, and I love that um, you got to experience that water birth that second time around and just having all that support, you know, I think a lot of people are confused between what midwives and what doulas do, like the difference between them. So if you could just maybe take us down, like, what does a doula do? Like, I know you went over a little bit, but just a little yeah, bit. Sure. More of that. Yeah. yeah, I know it's a great question. One that I get all the time, no matter how I change my website, I like thought I would help people. So they weren't like, yeah, wasting time. You know, we know we're also busy. Yeah. So a midwife is your medical provider. So typically uh, it's an assessment that people have to make. Do you prefer a medicalized, more medical provider? If you do, then you want an OB. They're really trained to be for high risk clients. Midwives are another option for providers, a lot more holistic and typically are for low risk, healthy women. And now certainly there's OBs I've met along the way that fall into that category of what a midwife is. And I, you know, I'm so grateful and vice versa. I've met many of midwives, we call them medwives, who are very medical. And I wonder why they chose midwifery, you know, because Mm -hmm. they're not practicing. And, you know, there's no right or wrong. It's just deciphering what category fits your birth needs. If you go into birth and you feel really well educated and you understand your options, you find the care provider who can support those wishes. And then a doula is your non-medical provider. They are folks who fill in the gaps. The spectrum is large. We're just not medical. The pillars typically fall under emotional support, physical support, educational advocacy that start as soon as you pee on a stick for some people or as late as you get past your childbirth class, you get into your third trimester and you're like, oh man, we really need something else because <laughs> I don't want my mom and I don't want your mom. So we be there, right? <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so then, you know, that's where a doula can come in and we typically see clients in yeah, the pregnancy and prenatal period. And I, I typically like to meet with people twice. And the first time it's like a first date and we just have to like break that ice and really get comfortable sharing space together. And then the second visit, we're really hands-on. 
but we have to get through the first date, right? And they have to really feel ready for me to be touching their body with consent and be maneuvering them. And and typically I spend a lot of time teaching partners how to be really good support because Mm -hmm. I don't have to be the one to do it all. Mm -hmm. Just depends on people's preferences. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking this whole time. If I could just go back in time to that first, you know, my first experience. How much that probably would have transformed the whole, the whole thing, you know, how important that role is that you play Brooke, especially, I mean, being a first time parent. And like you said, you don't know what you're doing. Like looking at your husband, I don't know what I'm doing. Like (laughs) we're going to need some help here. We're going to need some backup. So I I just like envision that and how that can really transform for some women and, and, and their partners. It's like incredible how much pride. And I think we forget too, like this is our partner's birth experience too. So if they're frantically flailing, <laughs> figuring out what to do with no guidance, what, what kind of experience is that? Like our births mold how we enter parenthood. If it was from an experience of, and yes, it can be healed. So I, I don't want to go too far away from that. But if it comes from an experience of like, not being a part of decision-making, things not going the way we planned, feeling really stressed and disappointed. And it happens, right? And birth is so unpredictable. But even with like a doula by your side saying, okay, here's what I'm hearing. This, these are probably going to be some options that they're going to present to you. Do you want to spend time talking through them? Let's make sure you have the right resources in the moment, in the labor and delivery room, right? And say like, Pitocin might be a great option. You know, you know, I heard the word cesarean birth. Like, let's see if you and baby, if there's not like any blips going on, like we have time. Mm-hmm. Helping just to make, like bring back some autonomy and informed decision-making and take bringing back power to the birthing person, I think is like mm-hmm. such a thing. Well, it's well, honestly, I think- I'm sorry, Lori. It's honestly like a full circle of, of your mantra. You know, mm-hmm. is this, well, first of all, let's decide if this is an emergency. You right. Know, pause yeah. here and look at our options. So, right. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. So true. I've yeah. not pieced that together, but yeah. Wow. I think, too, uh, first-time moms, you like just not knowing anything and knowing that you can be an advocate for your body and also just knowing what the options are because a lot of times they are not told what the options are. And so, and if you don't know anything, it's nice to have you in there to help guide those things along because you've been there for so many birds on, on your own. But, yeah, if it's somebody who's like, I don't even know. I didn't even know you could say anything, you know? Right. So many women say that. Yeah, you're so right. You're so right. And I think a lot of people feel really like they've done their due diligence. They've attended their childbirth class. And I think that's one level of being prepared. What I've been finding over the years is the childbirth classes that are presented in a hospital setting really just teach you how to be a good patient. I don't find them. And certainly there's always outliers, right? In anything that we say, but the majority is that you just, you sign up for that class. They teach you what the hospital offers. You don't really know all of your options. What separates your hospital from the hospital down the street? Well, you're not going to know. That's not information that's just handed out at your appointments. 
And if you want a physiological birth and you want hydrotherapy, you want to be in a tub, well, this hospital doesn't offer that. That's not an option. You know, mm-hmm. well, the hospital down the street does and they have midwives. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like a huge flag. I've been to every hospital that you could probably touch in both of your areas, right? And we're imagined driving to, and I really honed down to like three where I really, really prefer to go. Mm. They do it different and what they offer is different, but in a larger scale, I find hospitals that have midwives on staff at some capacity have nurses who train and learn under midwives side by side. I don't like hierarchy there, but, and they do it different. So the care is so different in birth locations where there are midwives. You cannot, it's like not even an art. You can't even argue the point it is across the board. No outliers. <laughs> I can't agree with that. I've had babies in both settings. I've had babies where it's only obese. And like you said, the care of the nurses night and day. And then I had a baby where it, it was just a like a ton of midwives, you know, and maybe like two or three OBs that were there, like in case and the care of the nurse. It's like, like you said, it's completely. So how would you, I guess, so you have your client and then how would you suggest that they start to kind of gather these like ideas to like kind of create that image of what they want to do? I think that's, that's just it. I think visualizing your birth and like, Turn off social media is a big one. Turn off all the forums and and all the things that you read that are not positive. You know, tune into some really wonderful podcasts. I have a a little list. Yours is on there. Um, uh, You know, yeah. And and then listen to what you're hearing. What sticks, right? It's like a puzzle. Throw it all up in the air. Start to pull down the pieces that feel like, ah, that, that, I felt that somewhere like that really mm-hmm. resonated with me. And then the other stuff, if it doesn't wipe it off your list of, of must have, like, no, I don't want that and know that. Right. Mm-hmm. So start to form this, this vision of what does my birth space look like? Who's there? Who's doing what? And I think that can really bring this back down to earth a little bit for some people, because it's just such a lofty feeling of like, I'm pregnant and mm-hmm. I have this baby. Yeah. But that baby has to come out. Right. <laughs> stay in there forever. What does that look like? <laughs> and there is so much outside noise that people, people's envisions become other people's suggestions. Right. So yes. then it's just like, what do I actually even want? I don't even know what I want, you know? influence is deep. It really, and and I didn't social media, you know, I'm aging myself, but like I didn't grow up with Facebook and Instagram and any social media. No, I mean, it started, it started to come out in college for me and I went to college a little later. Yeah. So there is so much influence and to recognize a question on my form for clients is certainly about what their family history is of birth, especially the maternal side. We see that there's some connection, right? The way your mom's birth, the way your sister's birth, like there's something there that we can grab onto is especially first babies. Like it might look like this because this is kind of your genetics, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then another worksheet I look at just to kind of help with this vision as an, a total outsider, right? Is your influences on birth. 
what is your partner's influence? Are they completely on the medical side and you're completely on the holistic side? Like, where does that mesh? Because that's huge. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of work that has to happen if that's the case. And and it's not because they want to be in that bucket, but that's because they've grown up with scary, fear-based birth stories because one person in their family had some traumatic thing happen that probably didn't need to happen. We don't tell them that. Trauma is trauma and that's their story. But, you know, the umbilical cord was wrapped around the baby's neck and they thought I was going to die and they cut on me open. Well, that didn't really have to happen, but okay. That's your story, right? Let's talk that through and let's see if we can start to mesh the sides together of what the birthing person wants and recognize your influence, right? Um, And start to tune into some positive podcasts and hear really good birth stories of like more of the normal. So I do, I can spend a lot of time there with folks. It just depends, but influence is deep. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, yeah, painting that vision and picture of what they want for their birth is really crucial so that they can see it before they're in it. Cause then I, I think that does take a level of, I mean, there's always the fear of the unknown for all of us. We've all had our first babies right on this mm-hmm. podcast. And, you know, yeah, it was like, what do you expect? I didn't know somebody or like, what does it feel like? No one can really explain it. (laughs) You'll get a lot of answers there. But um, so of course there's some normalcy there, but yeah, I think the more you can visualize and then start to lessen some of those surprises feels a lot less scary or fear-based, right? Yeah. Well, it probably builds your clients up to gain a little confidence in themselves to say, okay, so now that I'm collecting all these things, especially from my doula that has all this wisdom, um, I feel myself, I'm tuning into myself. I'm understanding what I want. I can kind of be a little bit more confident when I get to that point and not like, there's so much fear around birth, I think is the biggest Mm -hmm. part too, is that when you think of birth as a first time mother, especially, and sometimes even like the second time, because you're like, oh, maybe you had a terrible like experience. Yeah. But yeah. Like, a lot of the times you associate birth with fear and pain. Like I'm afraid because it's going to hurt. Right. But like, what can that transform into? Like you can really morph that pain and fear into such a deeper, like you said earlier, like going into yourself calling in like all of this support around you, like you can transform that energy, but with the support of someone that would guide them versus like, I know a lot of times, especially when it's like a handed down type of thing, like, well, my mom had a really scary birth or my sister had a scary birth. And and so I feel like I'm going, you know, like that, it's just going to be like that guilty by association type of thing. So it, it would be, it's so nice for people to have that advocacy of like, no, birth actually is, is beautiful and it's simple and it's, and it's really about empowering and expressing your true nature. It's like going in your, in your deepest of deeps, you know, and, and really finding that crevice of yourself. It's, it's beautiful. And it's one of the only times where we can own that much power, right? And, yes. and nobody can take it from us, really, yeah. and, unless we hand it over, right? And none of my clients, I've never seen it with my clients, you know, I, you know, some sprinkles where they knew what they wanted and the provider was really hell bent on, no, you're going to do this. And, you know, it was a battle of the wills and who has time for that in birth. But, you know, sadly I've seen that, but no, there's a lot. This is like one of the only times in your life 
you know, every birth, of course, I'm referencing, but where you hold that power, you call the shots, you are advocating for this life who has no voice. Mm -hmm. And you know what's best. You know what's best for you and your baby, no matter what people come in saying or whatever that loud influence is. If you just hit the mute button Mm -hmm. and say, like, what do I want to do? I mean, careers, there's, there's sure another big profound thing in our lives, but there's things that can change that, right? This is not one of them. This is one time in your life where you can say, this is what I'm doing and this is how I'm doing it and nobody's going to change it. And you do it. And you can. It's amazing. And I get to see that all the time. Lucky me, right? That's Um, so awesome. Yes. (laughs) I've experienced it myself. It changed who I was as a human. I really owned the power of my births and I I will never regret that, you know? Did things go the way I envisioned them the first time? No, but I was really educated. I knew it was safe for me and my baby. I still had my team. I still held my power. I still birthed my baby the way I wanted. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's, there's no buts. It was the way it was. And second baby, same thing. Yeah. I just, I encourage and where I'm, you know, I'm a thought that's kind of colliding together. Sometimes I have to pull that out of people, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, you have this really beautiful vision. And I just had a phone call a couple of weeks ago. This woman really wants a home birth really. And she was like, no, my, my family will never let me live it down. Mm -hmm. Are that okay. I get it. Like, compassion, full compassion there. That's hard. Mm -hmm. They're not birthing your baby. You are. Mm -hmm. Some people cannot get, they can't grasp that power and bring it back. Their family is so influential Mm -hmm. to to think that to live beyond this birth and live with that family that don't live in the same house. I'm saying like moms and mother-in-laws to live with that fear of their judgment of your birth decisions. Oof. That's too much, right? Like, it's a hard word. Where are the boundaries, you know? And that's a word I use a lot. Yeah, boundaries. Yeah. Your birth. They had their babies. And, you know, a hypnobirthing or hypnobabies talks about a bubble of peace. And if people start to share their thoughts that conflict with what you want, you say, I'm not interested in hearing. Mm. Some people just can't stop at that. Right. And they just keep going. It's not safe. You're putting your baby in your, and how do you not hear that? Right. Mm -hmm. Anywhere. So yeah, kind of back to that influence and that power, it's just own it. Right. Take that power back. This is like one of the only times you can Mm. really have that much. Yeah. I saw this really great quote that, and I'm going to probably butcher it, (laughs) but it said, if a woman does not look like a goddess in birth, someone's not treating her right. Right. That's right. That's true. When you are able to like you, like you said, like create your bubble and keep it and like live in that intuition stage and, and really like, it's wow. It's a beautiful moving thing. It's when we have these contradicting, like, you can't, or this is how it's going to go. Yeah. And some of that comes from providers, right? Like there's this bait and switch that can happen too. You have this really wonderful provider. You want to have a VBAC, you know, vaginal birth after a cesarean and your provider's like, yes, we will do all the things and support you. And then you get to 40 weeks. They're like, okay, we've scheduled your cesarean. It's in two days. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. Well, well no, we're going to, it happens more than I can tell you. Oh, and yeah. yeah, like I've stopped going to those places You because I just can't support it. And And there's a part of me that's like, is that the right choice? So like last night I told you, I was like typing madly on a keyboard because somebody reached out to me that wants to go to this one place, this hospital locally. And the one provider improvingbirth.org is an organization that they used to really share provider stats and cesarean rates and they've stopped. It's become like money that you uh, know, pay or have privileges to get this, access this information, which I think is just so baloney, but gross, yeah. Yeah. Gross. And so when I had access this provider who this, you know, this client was seeing and they have a 51%, this doctor has a 51% cesarean rate. Yeah. Come on, you want to be there? No. going to happen. Then my keys are like, shh, and I'm typing away, right? And I try on so many levels to say, they don't know, right? They don't know. Hey, I think it's a really great goal for a VBAC. What a beautiful thing to work towards. Mm-hmm. However, it's like a shit sandwich, right? Yeah. And you say like, great. In my experience, that doesn't happen there. But you can have that anywhere, here, here, here. <laughs> yeah. Are you, you're, you sound like you're pretty amazing at being able to like reference for your clients. Like, oh. if this is what you want, you know, then it's almost like a, you're like a matchmaker in a way. Like, yeah, you are a matchmaker. Like, help do it over here or let's create it over here. Like, yeah. Just and having that knowledge though is like, oh, tenfold. But it's experience. You know, I, you can be a doula and show up at any birth location. And I think more power to you. I just don't know that that's the right way, right? There's a consumerism piece to hospitals. It's a business. Shut them down. If they're going to create trauma and coercion and they're going to be slicing and dicing women Mm -hmm. over what's logistic, like, that's not even evidence-based or reasons like nobody should have a cesarean rate that high. Right. You know, like that doesn't even make sense. Yes. Cesarean births are there for when we need them. Yeah. Even like the surgeon general and all of like birth advocacy, ACOG, nobody should be over 23%. But I would tell you in all of our area, most of the hospitals are over that. It's really, you know, it's abuse. I, yeah. I don't like to use that word unless it really fits and it really fits. And all about the money. What it comes it's down money. To. It's money. It's, it's huge. So but people don't understand that because they wouldn't think like, oh that that's that would happen. Never. Yeah. I yeah. also so, think this weird programming that, that there's this assumption that it's the easier, like Oh yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, I won't have to go through labor and that kind of thing. And my doctor suggested it because you know, maybe I'm measuring, I, whatever the reason is, maybe I'm measuring big or I'm, I'm, um, for advanced maternal or whatever, whatever the reason that your doctor's suggesting it, that's not like a medical emergency. They're like, well, he said, or he or she suggested it. And it's, you know, then I don't have to go through all that. But what mm. I think is the misconception here is going through all that is the transformation. It is mm-hmm. what's, it's like the building blocks, like the road path of your motherhood journey like yes. you know what I mean yes. like, to go so deep in yourself and expose all of this is like that shedding of that that girl to woman type of whew. yeah well yeah. and I think a pause to say mm-hmm. I wholeheartedly respect women's choices if 
especially yeah. trauma survivors, sexual abuse and sexual trauma. And to feel birth like that can be really too much for some people. And I, if some, I have somebody today who I'll probably finish this conversation, you know, we've been chatting, you know, I think her choice has come to, you know, she's, she's 42, she's done. She's had every little thing in pregnancy happen. And like, she's, she feels so done mm-hmm. and they offered her a cesarean. That's her choice yeah. it was offered as a choice. She is making an informed decision and that's what feels right for her. Yeah. And I'll show up to support her. I have no qualms. I've had my babies, right? And, and that's a level of doula work. You have to check yourself at the door. This is not your birth. You've done it your way. And sometimes it's hard, right? Like, you know, what's best for the baby. You know, what would be beneficial. You think would be beneficial for the, for the mom, but we don't always know the whole story, right? Mm -hmm. I don't always know. People don't always share their history. I give them a really safe platform to share with me and we reestablish that relationship, but really we've only worked together twice in pregnancy. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know that that's enough for everybody. So anyway, um, there's always space for that. And I will never poo poo anybody's birth choices. I just want to make sure that they get there knowing all of their options. Here's the menu. Here's what changes when you make these choices, right? You, you can't select Pitocin and not have an IV, right? You don't want an IV. Well, then Pitocin's not an option or, you know, like things kind of blend together. And I also find kind of, we talked about this off, off record earlier was not everybody knows home birth is a safe option. You know, we, we've talked about influence and media and we see movies that hit media. What, how, how do we portray a woman in labor? She's screaming on her back with her feet up in stirrups with a man down catching her baby and the husband's fainting and everything is so out of control. Chaotic, yeah. Guys, I've never seen that. I've never seen that. You know, in 200 births, never seen that. Mm-hmm. Doesn't happen like that. And, and we wonder why we have like this grand fear of birth. Well, who wants to be that out of control? 90% of us have anxiety already. Yeah. And now we are asked to put ourselves in this vision of not being in control, forget it, right? <laughs> anyway, so I don't know where I was initially going. Oh, well, media. Home birth is like a, oh, actually a safe option. Thank you. Way yeah. to bring me back down, right? I told you, advocacy is large in this body. Um, oh, I love oh, it. I like beaming. I love this. I'm yeah. just going to insert that people need to watch Call a Midwife because that's true. Like that, that shows how it goes, you know, um, and home birth can be an option because it always was that. I mean, there was yeah. no hospitals to go to then, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't watch TV. So I have not watched it, but I've heard a lot of reference to that show, but um, yeah. you're right. I think home birth has been, how we survived as a humankind up until 1950 when I'm not, I'm not picking on any one human, but men came in and had their white coats and they looked all clean and they opened these really sterile places in a hospital and said, you could have your baby here. We needed Vanna White back then. Like, you know, really showcasing (laughs) hospitals, right? And these nice white clean. And then they had a picture in the newspaper. Really, this is like a real story, right? And it was this midwife who looked like the witchiest of witches. And they're like, instead of her, you can have us, right? 
And then what did we do? We used fear mongering to scare women out of home birth. And it was a business model and people made money and it was men at the helm. And I'm sorry, I will share that. I just don't know that that fits. They don't even have the same parts. How do they know? You know, Mm -hmm. study all you want in a textbook. You're never going to learn birth until you really see it out of hospital, out of a hospital, Mm -hmm. a woman in her birthing space, in her own space with a really intimate team Mm -hmm. roars, you know, and that power and that safety is like, well, because not only do you have the knowledge like midwives that practice in, in home birth, but not only do you have the knowledge of what, what's going on, you can pick up on emergencies, you can, oh yeah, all the thing, the whole scope. But I feel like there's a huge transition of like compassion to there. Like Ooh. there's like this like deep caring yeah. and understanding, like you said, of choices, you know, like really honoring that, that woman and what she actually wants. Cause they're seeing them through the entire pregnancy, but right. I don't know. There's just this level of compassion that I feel I've witnessed on a personal level between OB, not to call out any like OB, but like between my OB and now my now midwife, just the two experiences, mm. just the level of support that I feel like you gain is just yeah. beautiful. Yeah. And, and just what Lori was saying was, yeah, we birthed out of the hospital until the fifties. We've only been birthing in the hospital for 70, 80 years, right? This is still really new. And yeah, I, you know, one of the barriers for people birthing out, out of the hospital settings is, is insurance. We all rely solely on insurance. You know, that's for a whole nother podcast, but you know, it's, it's hard to explain to people like it's not really free you know there's there's that's not how insurance works but sure you don't have a three thousand or five thousand dollar copay that a home birth might cost but you're still there's still fees incurred like it's nothing's free in birth but anyway there is you know a financial barrier just because of the way our insurance and hospital systems work that is enticing to have this birth in the hospital but um, my midwife my preceptor. So I am a student midwife now. I'm, oh, I'm just be doing uh, home births down the road a bit. Uh, yeah. So this hat will always stay on, but I'm going to tuck it away when midwifery comes out. But yeah, she says, I love this analogy. You know, you, you draw this vision. We keep going back to this vision of what we want in birth and we hand select our team and we know deep in our bodies what we can do and what we want if we mute out all of that influence and social media and all those negative stories and just listen, right? Mm-hmm. Pause and listen. You can't go to a Chinese restaurant and ask for Italian food, right? You can't go to a hospital with with this idea of what you want in birth and it's in the physiology and they just all of that support. It doesn't happen. You're asking for something that doesn't get offered in that house, typically in a hospital setting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, There's mm-hmm. a couple of hospitals that, you know, really do it well. And I really am. I admire them. Reading is one, Power Health Reading. They do an amazing job. Capital Health in Hopewell, New Jersey, amazing, amazing. You know, two of my tops, if I really could call out two people. They just do something magically different, really. They do. 
I had I had my second son at Reading. So yeah, I I know they they I felt so supported with my decisions and I didn't have I didn't choose midwifery or doula and I wish I could go back in time because it would have been cool, but I didn't know. You know, um, but I felt like Reading just I I loved my OB too. So I was all for women. So I'm just gonna throw that in there. Cause at at that time they were actually my where we started, her sister was a midwife. So it was kind of like there was that interjection mm-hmm. and, and she knew that world. So it was kind of just really nice and refreshing to to be there, you know? Yeah, and that's what we were saying earlier too. It, when there's midwifery in the hospital setting, it's massively different. So naturally at Reading, there's OBs, right? And OBs in the state of Pennsylvania hold the license of a midwife. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there is like a hierarchy there. And as far as CNMs go and um, yeah, so they do have some rules and policies, but you just don't, it's just not tangible. Like it is in more local hospitals to where I live. Um, And there's, I mean, there's no midwives, which is such, such a shame. I wish they would get on board, but you know, that being said, yeah, you had an OB, but had midwifery really blend, really blended to the core of that hospital. And I can't help but say this periodically, not everybody's had a great experience at either of those hospitals. And I never want to validate like, oh, there are these grand places that do really grand things. No, in comparison to most other hospitals, they do such phenomenal things, but that doesn't mean that people haven't had traumatic experiences there. So let that be on the record. Like I never want people to feel like I've invalidated if they've not had a great experience there. Cause yeah, I'm sure it happens. I just, I've not seen that in my time, um, but it happens everywhere. It's, it's a shame, but um, yeah, yeah, it's birth has really- you, I'm sorry, you wonder why, like, I don't know, more hospitals don't start adapting to that. And, like, what, I guess it's just all policy that's made by, like, the upper hands and stuff that kind of trick, it's money. <laughs> Essentially, it's whoever owns them, tells them, you know, their policies and stuff. But it's like, I feel like something that social media is allowing and is creating is more uh, informed, you know, choices. And it's showing like a, like a wider range of what's available out in the world. So you would think that hospitals would start kind of picking up almost on these like quote unquote fads, you know, of like, like our communities going more natural and people considering, I mean, COVID gave us a huge blessing by people actually considering home birth more, you know, because like some people were forced to do that because I mean, the hospital wasn't staffed enough or whatever that whatever happened. So it's like, you think that hospitals will start to kind of catch on to these trends to start becoming more, I don't even know what they call it, like mother or baby. Yeah. Word. I feel like there's a word that they use. Yeah. Like mom, like, baby, friendly. Like nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice to you. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And um, the pandemic, there's always a silver lining. You know, I I'm not a believer of things happen for a reason because I don't I don't believe that. And however, I think in any really crappy situation, I think we can pull out a nugget, right? And I think in the pandemic, so much went to crap, right? And Yeah. And I think home birth really got some good attention. Oh, wow. There's like this thing that my great grandmom did and I can do this too. And it's still a thing. And, 
Yeah. I, I worked with a home birth midwife. I did like a kind of like a crash course on how to assist in a home birth and really loved it. Hence why I'm back in school and doing the thing, but I, they were just inundated. I mean, there were so many people switching late in pregnancy to get out of the hospitals because they're, and, and some of it was fear-based, you know, and I don't encourage that ever, but people were like, so afraid of the unknowns of the pandemic and, and COVID. And they're like, and then at that point they were separating moms and babies. If moms had, if moms had COVID, they couldn't be with their babies for like days. It was nuts. And that wasn't going to be okay for any of us. I would have risked getting COVID and holding a baby with a mom and being with my clients to make sure that happened before anything. I mean, I wasn't allowed in, but yeah, yeah, there were so many layers of COVID that brought people out of the hospital setting. And I, it was that, that silver lining of in the birth world. Yeah. Here's this really wonderful option. And at some point there was a loophole in insurance where they had made an exception and some of them were reimbursing for you know partial of a home birth wow. and Cigna is an insurance company I, I think they deserve a shout out they will reimburse for home birth oh yeah so it's not everybody but you know there's movements that are happening and I it takes so long it does and I I'm with you I I really do think and question like how can a hospital in my town, literally three miles away, have a 33% C-section rate, no midwives, they have the same providers they've had for 30 years, no birth tubs, no peanut balls, no nitrous, no nothing. I mean, that we're when we can go another 20 minutes down the road and get a birth tub and nitrous and midwives. And, mm-hmm. and I have that conversation with people all the time. Shut them down. If they don't want to shape up and serve what we need to birth our babies, get them out of here. Just stop going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Going. yeah. And it's, you know, it, it's consumerism. It's something we have to own. And not everybody knows their wish, you know, not everybody knows their choices or want to drive an extra 12 miles, but mm-hmm. it makes a difference. If you do your homework, I think there was a statistic once that was shared, like people spend more time researching what type of phone to buy than they do where to birth their babies. Oh yeah. And it's like, this is a really big deal. (laughs) Gotta know where you're going. That's your highest risk. And I think, um, Oh, the name's going to escape me. I don't want to misquote anybody, but some, a really wonderful advocate in the birth world said one of your greatest risks are the doors you show up to, to have your baby. Mm, It's true. It's so true. Yes. And I think conversations like this are just so uh, important because people just don't know. So like, you know, as much as they're researching for their phones, like they don't realize that they can research for their, where they want to have their baby. They don't, they, they just don't, it's kind of like my, well, this is where my OB is and this is where I'm going to have the baby. Right. Like that's just, that's That's just it. But not knowing that there's so many other layers here. So it's just really good to bring this awareness to the table. I feel like, yeah. Yeah, you're right. And I think people, um, uh, you know, OBGYN care is so intimate. So to think like, oh, I've gone to this provider all of my female adult life to switch. I got to go see somebody else who's going to see me in my most intimate moments that I, again, like I have to change. That's hard for some people. Yeah. yeah. Change. So I, I fully, 
hear and see that, right? And yeah, sometimes we have to do hard things and trust that the payout will be, yes, you're going to be vulnerable with a new person, but they're going to have your well-being and your baby's well-being high in their priorities. And they're not watching the time and say, you're here, let's do a weight check. Uh, looks like you gained a little extra weight. We don't even have a scale. And the midwives that I go to, there's no scale. What does that tell us? Can I say a fucking men to that? (laughs) (laughs) That's the worst part. It's dumb. It tells us nothing. nothing. It just makes us feel awful when we hear, wow, you gained 12 pounds last time. Yeah, because I'm hungry and I'm growing a human. And that's what my body calls for. I had goosebumps all over me, Brooke. That that like really ruffles my feathers. (laughs) Yeah, but that's the difference. That's that's how it goes. Call somebody who knows birth, help them weigh your options. And sometimes you're just going to have to do that hard work and change providers because it's going to be such an astronomical difference. And that's mm-hmm. going to pave the way into parenthood. Mm-hmm. Imagine the difference, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh care. And the yeah. way you, you would just, the confidence would just be beaming out of every human. If they entered parenthood from care prenatally saying like your choices and your wishes are totally valid. And they come from a place that, isn't me, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Man, I just went on a baby and have you as a doula, Brooke. Like (laughs) I heard that. I've heard that. I I can't have a baby anymore. So (laughs) Yeah, no, I know. It's amazing. It's so amazing. Laura and I have talked about this energy and I think uh it's starting to become like a conversation that I've been seeing a lot more like in this these birth communities. It's like that ripple of birth energy. It really does, like you said, proceed into your parenthood and I think into your children. Like Laura and I talked about um our kids have that energy or that essence that was created in the birthing room, you know, like and it's yes. wild to like think of and reflect on and then to communicate with others and then for them to kind of like go through their experience and be like, holy crap, like, yeah, my, I can see that reflection in my child. You're so right. And you know, we know our privilege. I certainly don't mind sharing it. We go to a private Waldorf school and it was a sacrifice, really. We've, we don't, that's where we spend our money, right? Our education for my kids is massive. And I really dislike the public health school system almost as much as I dislike the public health system. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's not for everybody, but, you know, I used to teach as a public school teacher and the things I saw were just like, wow. would blow your mind, right? And how do you ignore that? Just like in birth work. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I always find roles in advocacy at some capacity. Anyway, so our school, when our kids first got there, just kind of circling back to what you said about the baby and child's experience at birth, they ask you, what was your pregnancy like? When you were pregnant with this child, what was, were you stressed? Was there something traumatic that happened? And then they look at the baby's first year, right? Did you move within your first year? Did you travel within the first year? Because guess what? All of that care, the way you birthed your baby, what was it like in your birth setting? It affects our babies, right? And some things are out of our control. And like, yeah, let's not mom guilt and be like, oh, I could have done something different or no, that there's no time for that. But 
you know, if we can change the way people think about like the choices they're making impact more than just themselves. It's the baby's experience too. You know, was it frantic when your baby came out? Were they like, like drying your baby and like quickly handling your baby and moving? Like that doesn't really have to happen. Give your baby a pause. They just came through this like really intense situation, you know, and they're like exploring the world for the first time. How do you want that to feel? Drying, 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 stimulating this baby. They don't need that. Right. They don't need that. Karen Strange, I just took her training. She's like, if a baby needed to be dried immediately after birth, you don't think God would have grown inside our womb a kit with a towel that would have dropped out after the baby was born and a note to say, when this baby comes out, take this towel and dry. It doesn't need to happen, right? Like a baby car wash. Like the things we do, we don't even give it a thought. Like how does that impact the baby? Holy crap. Like, wow. First of all, I'm applauding your school. Like the Waldorf. I love the Waldorf in general, but I didn't know they, they screened that not screened, but like that they did such like psychological, like that's, that's in, that's intense. Like that's beautiful to, for them to be able to say this matters. It matters. Morphs our children. And if I can understand them on that deep of a level, how can I support them to grow, you know, continuously? That's insane. That's amazing. And, and I was like, why are they asking me that? Like this. I know a lot. This is personal. (laughs) You want to know my baby came out my vagina? You want me to write that on your school papers? Uh, Okay. (laughs) Okay. Here I go. Yeah. And it, but they do. They're like, they're, that was like so profound for a child. Their first year, particularly, I don't want to just say birth because, you know, births can be really unpredictable and we can have had some really unplanned outcomes, but there's healing that can be done certainly from that. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. babies experience birth too. And my point in sharing that is it's notable to a level that schools like the Waldorf education are looking at, like mm-hmm. how, what was their care like, right? Mm-hmm. Like, cause it does shape them too. And then I'm sure if we really want to dig and stretch, it's the way you birth your baby is kind of the way you live. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to not pair the two. Yeah. <laughs> so profound. Wow. It's insane. I love your advocacy. I just do. Yes. I just, I feel, I can feel it. Like when you're talking, I'm like, yes. (laughs) I just want to like stand behind you with picket signs. Like, yeah, what you saying? (laughs) (laughs) And you know, I don't always have to be this big, right? Like I, some, like we have our mutual friend, Jess, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like that, but something about Jess's birth that she shared, you know, there were times where you know your clients, you know birth, right? And you start to blend that stuff together. And if like I was in the room and Ruthie was in the room, her contractions really spread out. Mm. And then I tested the theory. I stepped out of the room and I was like, let's go out. And they were roaring. She was roaring every three, four minutes versus like every seven to nine minutes. And I said to her, I think you're really sensitive to observation. Most of Mm. us are, Uh right? That's why we don't have students in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, 
sorry, they can go somewhere else, not here. Yeah. I know they have to see it and learn, but I don't know. It's it's not a spectator sport. That's just it. Right. And I had really good intentions and Ruthie had amazing intentions and for body work and doula, but it impacted the way she birthed. I could, it, you you can't, you couldn't deny it. There was an obvious difference. Mm. So, you know, I'm not this big in advocacy in a home birth setting because, you know, it doesn't, it's not needed, but you gotta know, you just gotta know how birth works, right? And what birth needs and know your clients and say, I'm the element that's making her birth longer. Mm-hmm. I'm right here. I said to Jess, I'm like, I'm literally outside the door. I'm going to shut the door. And I just want the two of you to like be mm-hmm. close and, and be held and kiss and hug and whatever you want to do. Yeah. But I'm not going to be in the room and neither is Ruthie. And she did. She had a really productive labor after that. Wow. Yeah. And to yeah. into that is like huge too, to realize that in the first place that, you know, I need to take myself out of that. Like that's, for yourself, like I, I applaud you for just even being able to like, you know, tune yeah. into that. Like that's not everyone can can notice that about, you know, an environment. Yeah. And it's like I it's just less and less at a home birth. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we yeah, the hospital births, we do a lot of that hard work before your birth space and uh, most doulas should and I really don't want ever anybody to have confrontation in their birth space. So like if we are having a disagreement, it's subtle, you know, like this last, I won't tell too many stories. I know we've been going for a while, but I had a birth at Bryn Mawr with their midwifery team, great team they have from Life Cycle. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, one of the, the nurse, the baby nurses, it had been an hour since the baby was born. They really just, you know, wait, check, um, let's do all the measurements. Let's do, let's, let's do stats. No, mm-hmm. let's not. Right. There. Who cares? First of all, mm-hmm. you know, I know it's like the question everybody's grandparents asked, how big is that baby? <laughs> this baby is comfy, acclimating skin to skin with this mom. She's finally coming back to her body after this like profound experience. You're not taking that baby. You're mm-hmm. not taking that baby and the baby's rooting and we're, she's never breastfed and I'm there waiting until she's ready, not asking her, but I'm mindful of the golden hour. And I'm like, say to my client, you wanted a breastfeed, didn't you? I knew what she wanted. We talked about this, right? And she's conflicted, right? There's this nurse saying like, here, hand your baby over. I'm going to go do weight. And I'm like, no, she's breastfeeding her baby first. This can wait. Oh yeah. There's no conflict, but I'm going to be firm. No. Yeah. This is not important. And I saw them postpartum. Um, they live close by. And she was like, I'm so thankful. I didn't bring it up again, but she was like, I'm just so thankful you said something because I was like not ready to hand over this baby. But you feel conflicted, right? It's like somebody saying, here, 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 I've got things to do. And you are so overwhelmed with what just happened that it's just so easy to be like, okay, that's not what you wanted. That's not what you right. wanted. So anyway, advocacy can be very subtle. Oh. <laughs> Like a gentle giant, like it's gentle, you know, but it comes all like literally the whole time it comes right back to that sacred pause. Let's pause Pause. right now. No, we don't. You can go away now. (laughs) Is this an emergency to weigh her? Yeah. Yeah. No. Oh my God. I love you. Holy mackerel. Everything. So your business, Brooke, is called Solace Birth Services, right? Correct. Okay, so what we'll do is we will, I will gather all of your beautiful links and any way that someone can contact you 
um, in our show notes. But yeah, if you're if you're loving what Brooke's saying, which I mean, she's amazing. That's how you can find her is Solace Birth Services. Yeah, thanks. And before we say goodbye, are you open to a speed round questionnaire? Oh, love it. Love it. Yes. All right. So just real quick, silly stuff. It's just a fun little thing. We do. (laughs) All right, Brooke, what is your zodiac sign? If you know all three, that's cool. But if you give us one, that's awesome too. Pisces all the way. Yeah. You see yeah. Wow. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know my others. I, I've always was curious, but never did the work. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, what is your favorite day of the week? Ooh, Friday. The same thing before you jumped on with us. We're like, love Friday. (laughs) It's a productive day. Fridays are productive. Yeah. 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 Do you have a daily ritual you do? No, I hate routines. Nice. <laughs> All right. Summer or fall? Fall. Favorite candy? Ooh. Um, that's a hard one. No. I'm like not a, I'm not a huge candy. I like sweets. Not a uh-huh. huge candy. But if I had to grab one, I guess Reese's Cups. Nice. That's a good I like, one. I like peanut butter in general, so. Yeah. Yeah. And last but not least, one thing you cannot live without. Oh. <sighs> One thing I cannot live without coffee. Mm. There you go. Yes. I, you know, I'm up. Perfect. Most of my phone calls come in, come in between 12 and 5, and you yeah. know, I'm out the door I go. Right on it. <laughs> They're about this size. They're not small. Love it. Oh, <laughs> Thank you, Brooke. So Thank, awesome. you. Thank you. It's yes. so fun. Sorry. Yes. Thanks for listening to the show. If you loved this episode, please take a screenshot on your phone and post it to Instagram or Facebook. Tag us and let us know why you like it and what you want to hear in the future. Also, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you're listening. And before we go, I'd love to send you that free Mama Wusa Chaos Break mini bundle with our handmade healing crystal tea strainer, a calm agate that'll help you relieve frustration, a sample size of our custom blend Mama Wusa herbal tea to ease anxiety and mental cramping. You'll also get instant access to our chaos break meditation and a special step-by-step checklist guiding you from that moment that you feel out of control to a state of calm and ready for action. Just tell us where to send it and cover shipping and handling. Either copy the link in the description and paste it in search or visit mamawusa.com. That's M-A-M-A-W-O-O-S-A-H.com. Fill out the form, follow the steps, and grab yours while it's still available. Till next time, the Wild Mama in me honors the wild mama in you.